Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I am your host, Ashwini Prasad. And in this special episode, we are speaking with Paul Ninson. Now, that name might sound familiar because Paul was featured in September 2021 on Humans of New York. Paul is committed to equitable and inclusive learning and is raising funds to build an nonprofit organization committed to visual education through the advancement of visual storytelling in Ghana, Africa. It is going to be called the Dinka Learning Center. Now, Dinka means to lead, and Paul is definitely a leader. In this episode, Paul wisely tells us that if we can support one person, then that will cause ripples of kindness and support within our circles of influence and outside. You can donate to the Dinka Learning Center to make it a reality at www.dinkacenter.org. Take a look and take a listen. So thanks so much for being here. And you can connect with me on Instagram at The Inclusive Screenwriter and my website, theinclusivescreenwriter.com. And be sure to also follow the Dinka Center and Paul Ninson on Instagram as well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I am your host, Ashwini Prasad. And today, oh my goodness, we have Paul Ninson. And I am so excited because Paul was featured on uh, Humans of New York. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, it's such an honor to have you here. So, Paul, I do this with all my guests. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself because you know more about you than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Paul Ninson, a photographer and a filmmaker from Ghana, um, born and raised in Ghana. Uh, again, admission to, I mean, for the, I started photography four years ago, gained admission to um, International Center of Photography to study photojournalism and documentary. And I've been here in New York for two years. And during my time here, you know, I've collected 30,000 books um, to open the biggest African photo library in Ghana and be able to do that. So that's the short version of my yeah. <laughs> And we're going to dig deep into every single one of those items that you I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of us that maybe not have gone and, you know, kind of learned about you from Humans in New York and that, what, 12 different posts that came <laughs> up, which is amazing. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I know you because of that, but let's, <laughs> let's dig deep, right? So mm-hmm. What part of Ghana, you know, how was growing up? What access did you have, you know, to like photography or the art when you were growing up? I mean, I grew up in Kumasi. It's the second largest um, city in, in Ghana, I think so. Yeah, so it was it, it was pretty much me and my family in a small suburb of Kumasi. Um, I grew up in, in a Christian home. Um, I grew up, we, we had a farm. It was just us, you know, it was, my dad is a, um, um, Advent reader, so you know that was my introduction to the world. You know, we we it was always about reading. My dad, when travels, comes back with different types of books, and yeah, that was how I grew up. With I didn't grow up with television, you know. So my world, I was I used to draw a lot, you know. But then you know when you come from such a background of the little opportunity you pick, your parents out advise you or skew you towards. Um, life which will be uh, they seem to be more safer than the rest of the things 
Uh, more safer. Now that's a great two words to put together, right? Uh, but we know that that didn't necessarily happen for you. There was a lot that that happened in your life. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, you know, were you drawn to like certain types of books or photos, even as a kid? Was there like a genre or a type that you were really focused in on? Or was it, you know, you kind of enjoyed everything? I mean, it was basically um, Christian books. You know, my dad and my mom are Christians. They are very stunned Christians. So it was more bringing you up in the Christian environment, a proper way, you know, of living to them. That was it. And I did not. I think my. I always say that my sources of my sources and influence came from my grandparents. You know, my grandparents were traditional. Uh, uh, they come from a royal home, you know, kind of a traditional home, and they used to tell me stories about my culture, stories about my traditions, they were kind of embedding history onto me and leadership skills, which um, I, I learned from my grandparents. So that is today, if I look at my work, that is the sources. And I think that is how, so when I got the camera, it was very easy to draw towards culture, community, sense of belonging, and that has become my style. Absolutely. Well, let's dig into that. So you, you you said a lot in just a couple of sentences. So you're really, you know, in that Christian influence, which makes sense. And then um, you you start, it feels like you started coming into your own. So tell us, you know, when you got that, that camera and that, and when you started photography, what, what were you uh, taking pictures of? What was like catching your eye? I mean, before I got the camera, I used to draw, you know, mm. so that was my form of self-expression. You know, but there wasn't the means to make money out of. So when I, so I mean, based on my sources of influence, I was more drawn towards, you know, that kind of medium. So when I got my camera, the first thing was was, was photograph, of course, and my daughter, taking pictures of my daughter, taking pictures of my family, and trying to figure a way to make money out of that, and also be part of something bigger than myself. You know, I've always wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. I always wanted to contribute to society, contribute to solving a problem, which was my dad's thing, you know, in our house. It wasn't about complaining. It was all about solving problems. So how can I solve problems in Ghana using photography? So as you were doing this, so you have this background as a child and no TV and you kind of grew up with that. Then you get a camera and you're able to see your community. So when you were taking pictures, what could you see that were really about solving problems versus complaining or making problems? How could how was that relationship between your photography and solving problems? I mean, I would say my earliest times or my early days of being a photographer was um different because i was trying to make money you know i was trying to make money and be responsible as a father you know so my beginning wasn't more of looking for a style looking for to solve problems but i knew that the long run that was what i wanted to do mm-hmm. that makes sense and so you talked about on in honey about your daughter and so how old is your daughter now um, she's turning 11. Oh my goodness, she's turning 11. Wow. So was it exciting, you know, as a new papa taking pictures of your daughter? And again, you were just doing it for fun, right? Like you were trying to figure it out. And then also, what do I do to hone in my skills to make money? Yeah, I think that also was um, one form of self-expression to documentation, you know, of what our lives was back then. 
and what her life is now so that in the future she can look back and say and look at those pictures and those moments so for me that was the beginning of documenting something a beginning of expressing myself and a beginning of spending time with my daughter amazing amazing it's amazing uh, the impetus that children give you <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so when you, yeah right exactly so as you were taking pictures and you were just focused in on you knew it was something and you knew the long run but in the immediate need right you needed to take care of your daughter and your family and so when you were um kind of doing that i guess would it be like a hustle was that being accurate yeah, yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> trying to survive, you know, it was, yeah. it was trying to make ends meet to be a father. For me, the biggest thing in my life is to be a responsible father, because I saw my dad, the sacrifice he made for us, and I want to be able to make that for my daughter. So I think that is where the sense of responsibility came from in the early yeah. ages. So even today, you know, I'm trying to design my life in such a way, even as a founder and executive director of um, the biggest library will be the biggest library i'm still finding ways and means to build a system where it won't take me away from my my lovely daughter absolutely absolutely and so as you were taking these pictures let's let's talk a little bit about the journey in case people don't know about your story when you were doing the hustle and you were trying to survive with your photography tell us a little bit about what happened <laughs> in the last couple of years i mean i was i was just knocking doors you know trying to learn photography and what it is all about and be able to figure that out and um be able to make money out of it you know i was i didn't come to photography to change the world you know i came to photography to be a father and able to express myself and also do something meaningful for the community mm -hmm. so um i tried all workshops apply for grants apply for fellowship apply for other um, ways and means i've never applied for an award before because for me in the beginning i had rules that i'm not trying to be the most famous photographer in the world I'm trying to just be a simple, normal photographer and be a father, you know, mm -hmm. so uh, applying for um, grants, going to places where I wasn't welcomed, you know, um, making photography like elite system, storytelling being an elite system for some selected few and people can afford camera. And for me, it wasn't that. And I think a lot of people get it wrong, thinking that everybody want to be the most famous photographer or publish on National Geographic, publish in New York Times. No, not everybody want that. Some people just want to learn to document their lives of their mother or their daughter, you know. So I experienced a lot of problems down the line to getting here. And all those experiences have made me who I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And so I wonder, you know, when you were taking those grants and you were applying not in, in uh, different areas, right? Not just in Ghana, you were applying for grants and, and learnings in uh, different parts of the world. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was applying for everything I could find. I was sending photographers emails, text messages, and who would be willing to help me and be able to understand what this photography was all about you know and again today that is what is happening now uh, industry has become layers and layers of excluding people from because in ghana in africa i started photography when i was 27. so if you have a grant and says that the grant is supposed to be given to somebody at under the age of 25 i'm out 
Right. If your grant is supposed to be, say, the person has to be professional for five years, I'm out. But how do I be able to get in if I do not get into these fellowships? You know, right. so in Africa, who parent buys the kid a camera at the age of five? This is a wise, this is a, um, uh, how do I say, this is a foreign thing, it's a Western thing. So sure. those metrics of giving grant, those metrics of giving fellowships on itself is a form of discrimination. And that makes sense because I do find that in different fellowships, and I've talked about this with other groups that I'm a part of, is that uh, there are a certain age. And if you are one year past that age, or in your case, just two years, yeah, because it's so young centric or what we consider young in, in some societies. And it doesn't have to be because you can, whether it's because you're pushed into it, right? Survival, I need to make money, take care of my daughter or, hey, this is my passion. Uh, and now I'm really able to be in a space where I can do it. Mm -hmm. There are limiting barriers to things that should be promoting us and getting us to those next levels. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's still happening today. You know, you look even across Africa or even in U.S., the same people are winning the same grants. The same <laughs> right. people are winning the same awards over and over again. It's like, can't you just let somebody else come into the room? It's like, if you see all these exhibitions, the same people, you know, then they move on to under 40 and they move on to under 50 and they move on to under 60. It's like, then you realize that then they become the same people teaching photography. And it's like so many people are left out of the way. You know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. And I mean, funny as in not necessarily always, ha almost half ha ha, because I've actually stopped looking at the 40 under 40 lists or the 30 under 30 lists. I'm like, no, I want to see the 40 plus. I want to see the 50 plus. I want to see the CEOs or those VPs that, you know, are like, I'm walking away and I am doing photography. I am doing painting. I am walking away from this um, uh, lawyer uh, career as a lawyer. And I'm going to go build Legos because that actually happened. One mm -hmm. of the uh, men that has uh, the big Lego, I forget his name. He's from Oregon and he has this, uh, he was a practicing lawyer. But when he came home at night, he loved playing with Legos. And now his Legos are shown across the world, you know, in these different exhibits. That's the beauty of it. You know, I, I tell people life is simple. <laughs> you know, life is supposed to be simple. For me, all I want is to spend time with my daughter. Right. All I want is to be happy. Yeah. I do not care about the money. Yeah. I do not care. I just want to help people. Yeah. So if the money is a process to get there, the end game is not to be the most famous and rich photographer. I'm being selective of how they call me. I'm like, don't call me a famous photographer. Don't call me award winner. I didn't win any award. You know, that's not my end game. That's not my trajectory. My trajectory is to spend time with my daughter. The trajectory is to be happy, you know, and anything that will make me unhappy, I'll take them away. So if I have to sacrifice being a photographer or a filmmaker, sacrifice the next Netflix gig to spend time with my daughter and be just simple and happy, I would do that, you know, and that is what I'm trying to do and trying to help other people in Ghana and Africa to do. That's amazing. I will. This is my projection and my opinion. I will say that when that attitude comes, actually, you will get be able to do so much. 
you know, there will be no sacrifices. Yep. The, you, the network, Netflix will say, oh, yeah, bring your daughter along and she'll have a great summer break. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think we should normalize some of these things. You know, I think yes. we should normalize some of these things, because then even in context of um, female identified uh, persons, it's like as soon as the person becomes a mother, then her whole life is crumbled. Her whole ambition is gone. You know, so how do we help people, even in Africa, I cannot boast of, in Ghana, I cannot boast even of 10 filmmakers who are female identified. How do, I bring the, how do I bring all these people to the table and train more filmmakers who are female and be able to normalize this, that she can bring the kid to a set? Yes. Or how can we all adjust systems that can help women or female identified to be able to be on the table. So mm -hmm. I, I, I have a policy called 50-50. My hiring is 50 women, 50 men, or mm -hmm. 50 um, non-identified. You know, I'm just bringing everybody to the table because when I was growing up, my mother says that if a man cooks, it gets ready. If a woman cooks, it gets ready. <laughs> so there was no gender role in my house. Right, right. So today that has informed what I do and everything I'm all about. That is so great. And I love that. And that's true inclusion, bringing in many different people. Mm -hmm. And also what you're talking about is equity. You're mm -hmm. seeing a gap, right? You're seeing mm -hmm. how motherhood could lead people not to pursue mm -hmm. because they're choosing to take care of their children, which is an mm -hmm. amazing, amazing, uh, you know, work. I mean, it is work. But why can't we also build opportunities where they can have their children on set? Maybe there could be some daycare. Mm -hmm. There could be things that could happen that really makes this a really equitable and inclusive environment to do the things that we love photography filmmaking etc exactly i i wholeheartedly agree and i know that there's a movement around that but we need more people that are saying this and actually are being able to say you know what no i'm going to go have dinner with my family i will get to those notes later or i will get to those notes tomorrow and like you said normalizing these behaviors mm-hmm mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you, you did it. You wanted to spend time with your daughter. You knew that you, you liked something. And then you were applying for these fellowships and you were seeing the discrimination that's really inherent in currently in these fellowships. And we're not talking like 10, 20 years ago. Very oh, sort no. of recently, you're mm -hmm. seeing this discrimination. Every time I say this is my view of the West and my view of the West before I came to America and now I'm in America is different, mm -hmm. you know, because it's kind of like, are we in 21st century? Like the things people will say, the things people, will, the gatekeepers will say, the gatekeepers will prevent you from, and you wonder, like, are we in 21st century? Are we still doing this? You know, because these, most of the schools, it's expensive. Yes. If I couldn't get Brandon, how was I going to do it? Yeah. Right. So you know, expensive. So expensive. So for me, that's why I want to create this opportunity for Africans. Because there might not be another branded, but I can be the branded to somebody else by bringing the school to Africa. We'll do it on our own terms. We'll do it our own way and how we want it. Because there's so many people who are talented more than I am. There's so many people who are hardworking more than I am. But, you know, I always say that being privileged is not a crime, but it's mm -hmm. how you use your privilege. 
Wonderful. Right. Because if you create and support two people, they could create four people, eight people, and it just gets bigger and bigger, which exactly. is what, yeah. And that's, it only takes one person. I, I love that. So Paul, you mentioned getting this, you know, looking for all these fellowships. So tell us how you did finally get one of your fellowships. What was that process like? Finding again, the system of portfolio, a system of body of work, the system of that, you know, so if you don't have these things, you cannot get in, you know, you have to have a body of work, but who teaches somebody a body of work if that person is not in, Yeah. you know, so right. again, if those are things that every application was talking about, you know, you have to write TOEFL, you have to write as a GRE, you know, and you ask yourself how many Africans have these access to these resources. So then I finally got admission to International Center of Photography go half scholarship then again how am i going to get twenty thousand us dollars right right and you mentioned that even internationally trying to come right so if folks don't know what toefl is this is a english test um that non-native or non-english speakers take uh typically to come in for school and then, like you mentioned, the GRE, which is a graduate uh, rec, uh, graduate um, school admission test. I took the GRE twice. <laughs> so we so and it's funny, I did really well in writing, but then in graduate school, they told me I couldn't write well. And so I, I don't know what's going on. But those are the these are yeah, these are the things that we have that are like you said, there some of the gatekeepers aren't people. Sometimes they're in these system. items, the systems, and this is, it, it is a way of uh, discriminating, that systemic discrimination. Those are ways, because like you said, somebody from Ghana has the skill and is able to do it, but then there's all these different hoops and gates that have to happen for you just to come. And then not even talking about now half the cost of what you need, because you got a scholarship, but now it's costing you, you still have to come up with the remaining money to attend mm -hmm. the course and then including moving and living in a completely new country. Exactly. You know, and also um, people do not know when I, I, I came here, some people make ignorant statements about as if I jumped a war to America or as if that, you know, I passed through the, the bush or passed through the sea to get here. I passed through literally from the embassy. Getting visa is the most hardest thing ever. You know, wow. even with that, it's like after that, you have to prove documents. And again, I'm lucky I had Brandon who was able to help me in all these things. So then I come to America, school systems. Again, you look at your class and you see you, you realize that, you know, this is a privileged class. You know, right. there, there are not many people like me in this in this room. You know, right. there's not much people here in this room. And so so you've we've talked about you kind of growing up you didn't have television but you saw this photography and then you had your daughter and you were like okay i need to learn this and make some money to take care of my daughter and spend time then you choose to master your craft and so you finally were able to get a scholarship in the united states mm -hmm. now how did you meet brandon from humans of new york how did that happen and how was he able to help you um, with your course and your fellowship and so I met him accidentally on Legon campus, which is the University of Ghana. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, when preparation meets opportunity, we call it luck. Right. Exactly. Luck. Yes. When you, so you have to prepare. 
So I, I had have my body of work. I've applied for school. I've tried to make it and it wasn't working. Then I met him. Then when I met him, I had something. You know, I had something and he, he was like, what do you do? I'm a photographer. What are you trying to do? So I explained to him and then he understood my, my, my plight. And he was like, how do I help? You know, and he's like, I'm going to help you. Then wow. he said he was going to pay. I should send an email to the school and copy him and then he will take it from there. And that is when he took it from there, said, um, give, if you give him back the scholarship, I'm going to pay the rest of the money. Wow. Well, Brandon, thank you so much. That was amazing. And so we briefly talked about, so you had help, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you were able to come to the United States, um, but you had some challenges, right? Like yeah. you were just noting earlier, even in your program. Mm -hmm. And so when you were in there in your program, you've even just coming into the country, coming to the program, seems mm -hmm. like from everything you've said, there were a lot of um systemic racism, systemic discrimination, even while you were here, even though you'd created this portfolio, being able to come from Ghana, do your course, even through every single step, it seemed like there was a struggle as you were trying to complete your course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, I'm new here. <laughs> you know, I've never been aware of my skin color. I've never had to be worried about it my whole life. And to come here at my age and somebody telling you, you're black, you're supposed to act this way, you come from this place, this is how we depict you, and comments, microaggression, and thinking about this, okay, how can a student tell me that he's too white to shake my hand and there's no accountability for such a person? Wow. How? Wow. And in an institution that promotes photogenism that promotes how can a student say this in one year still be in the same class with him never apologized never saw anything wrong with it teachers lecturers everybody who knew about it did nothing imagine being going through that trauma with such a student in the same class right. and these are some of the things people ignore because they think that you have to toughen up no i don't need to toughen up i need to let you know how i feel Mm-hmm. How you make me feel. And if these systems and these places do not promote and open the practice which will help other people like me, then that is a serious thing. So for me, those things made me aware that this place is not meant for me. This is not my home. You know, and I don't want people to go through that same experience I did. Imagine my whole life I've been trying to be a father trying to provide for my daughter, trying to be happy, trying to express myself and my culture, my identity. I make stories about it and the lecturer does not want to see that. Do you know how it feels like to be in the same class and live with that trauma over and over again? You know, but for me, it was... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to say that's awful and it makes me sad. You know, and for me, it's like Brandon helped me. Am I, I'm, my daughter looks up to me. Am I going to stop? Am I going to give up? You know, so in no matter the pain, the trauma I was going through was like, I do not have another opportunity again. If I go home, I don't know who another brand will come around. Mm -hmm. So stick it out, go through it and finish it. 
and do what's best for you. And again, that is exactly what I did. And now, through that, I was like, still, I was like, I cannot let someone go through this. I don't know who the next person will be have the strength to go through this. Even it's like having a system in US, having a community in US, you know, is some of the hardest thing. So even that, and it's like, okay, now, one, I've seen books which I've never seen before. I see all these African archives, African books here, but they are not in Africa. Right. So then I started buying them with the little I have, this typing I get from Brandon, started buying them, started, you know, and as much as I went on, the ideas became bigger and bigger. And we're going to touch on that in just a couple of minutes, but I want to close out what you said is that, you know, and I, it's horrible what you went through. And unfortunately, it's happening to so many people. And this is where we can make that change within ourselves and to make it safe spaces to have you feel like you really belong here. And what we can do now moving forward to make sure that folks like you or anybody doesn't go through what you went through. Mm -hmm. I think that's a call to action we can all have as we hear your story. And and especially in the United States, and, and I would say, you know, in in all parts of the world, though, definitely, the United States and Canada, UK, there should be no question about what your story is and what's happening and that it's that you are not the, unfortunately, you are not the only one that has gone through this mm -hmm. and what we can do to make this so much better for you, like you're saying, right, if you can support one person mm -hmm. and then they can create a great, safe and good environment for the two other people, for the four people, the eight people and keep that going. And for also, you know, our educational systems to wake mm -hmm. up. Because we should be making sure that you feel safe and that however time you decide you choose to live in a city or a country, that it is your home for that time that you choose. Exactly. Exactly. And Brandon, you remember in the last post, he talks about channel blessing, you know, and that's exactly the principle I believe in. If you change a man, if you change someone, you help one, he helps the thousands of people and it keeps on going and going. So if we all make one step, white brown green yellow whoever it is <laughs> you make one step one step you know we cannot go outside and always say black lives matter black lives matter but then in your small space you can help a single person then what is these signs and these about it takes one action and even that's the same thing in I, I, my classmates i detach myself a lot from them because it's like what are you talking about I'm hurting. You don't see my hurt. You don't see my pain. But then you believe in Black Lives Matter? Then what do you believe in? Right. It doesn't matter when it's, I'm hurting and I'm in pain. And I will tell you, I went through a lot of depression. Yeah. A lot of depression. And it took therapy for me to be able to get out of that. And that's what needs to stop. And this is where it's, as we were discussing offline, right? That the trauma is there and it's real. And what do we do now to support each other? And then also making sure that our stories are not just trauma-based and how we decide to share it is up to us mm -hmm. and what moves forward. But what can we do to be creating these safe spaces? This is the impetus of this podcast as well. Mm -hmm. What do we do to create safe spaces in the arts? Absolutely. You are, you are, you are like the epitome of, of all of this. So, Paul, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing uh, your stories. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah. And so we're here, you, you made it, you're in this class. Unfortunately, it's not, you're getting all these microaggressions. You're getting this hostility. You went into a deep depression. And now we're in this space where unfortunately you had to go through therapy an added extra thing that you had to go through in, in top of moving to a new country, taking care of your daughter who's in Ghana, going through school, building more, I mean, on and on and on, right? Mm -hmm. All of this, because it's not easy moving to even a new place. So imagine a new country, mm -hmm. that's a lot. But here you are, you're persevering, you're sharing your story, all of it, mm -hmm. and now, you are in a space where you want to, as we were mentioning earlier, about what inclusion and African inclusion looks like. So you've been talking a lot about it and I've been holding off, but now where we're here and those of uh, us that followed Honey, we know uh, where this story is going. But for those listeners that maybe haven't been able to read your story on Humans of New York, where are you now? What are you doing as you've gone through your class, you've had this experience in the United States. Uh, tell us about the amazing um, opportunity that you are putting together for everybody back home in Ghana. Again, um, for me, I'm always trying to help other people. And for me, I think one of the things, whether negative or positive, is like if something happens to me, I tend it in a negative way to make it positive. So mm -hmm. that is the reason why I don't like having enemies because then it motivates me more to, um, I think maybe probably um, work harder, you know, because when I came here, I was like, okay, I'm going through this, I'm going through that. How do I solve problems? How do I be able to come out of it and be able to be a better person? So that's the reason why I'm easily able to forgive. You know, I forgave everybody. I forgave people who hurt me, That all the gatekeepers and other things. It's easy for me because um, I've gained more from you than you did to me. Right, right. So I started collecting photo books, be able to finish school. When I finished school in pandemic, in the midst of pandemic, I had books in my, my apartment, trying to gather more and more and during pandemic, reaching out to people, you know, hey, do you have a book? Do you have this? You know, in a way to gather more. So, so far I have 30,000 books. Um, I set up Deccan Center in Ghana is a center where everybody's welcome. That's the definition of it. Whether old, young, whoever it is, is welcome to have a space. I think that that is my activism. That is my way of speaking to these gatekeepers and that's my way of including everybody to the table. Um, I think it's not about me. I always say this, it's never about me. If it was about me, I'm sure I will be raising money for myself and for my family. You know, of all these things, I'm not getting any personal benefit from it. It's building a library and a center for everybody. So that is why I am it. right now. I love it. And so for everybody who's listening and watching, Paul is building an education center in Ghana. And like you said, he has now over 30,000 books and he wants to have it in Ghana and it's going to be available for everybody so that the opportunities that weren't given to him, he can now open the doors potentially and give access to books and information to other people in Ghana that typically they, he did not have and they might not even receive today. Mm -hmm. Paul, that is so amazing. And you had a fundraiser on Honey as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, now, is that fundraiser still going? 
to help yes. get our education center up and running. Tell yes. us more about the uh, about the education center and the GoFundMe that's available for folks if they would like to donate. So what I'm trying to do is, um, again, I'm trying to have a center where we can learn photography, filmmaking, how to bridge technology and film photography, how to have a piece where everybody, whether engineer, scientist, what we just talked about, can just learn to photograph or tell stories visually. It doesn't have to be, um, I'm not trying to make an university. I'm not trying, there's so many universities around. <laughs> right. go to. I'm just trying to make something as simple as possible where everybody can come, where everybody's welcome. You know, the, um, is a gallery, is a conference center, is a, a, a theater, is a um, educational classrooms, is a library. I'm trying to do something which has never been done before. You know, yeah. because everybody try to label things or box things into a box. Oh, it's a university. Is this? No, it's a learning center. Simple. Where everybody can learn something. Kids, older people. Imagine having an, a 60-year-old woman trying to learn photography to photograph their grandkids. Amazing. Whether she's making money or not, it's something just for her to express herself. So now I have 30,000 books. I'm looking for partnerships. I'm looking for iPads, cameras, uh, computers to fill the space. You know, I'm trying to bridge the gap between the West and Africa. I'm trying to make it inclusive, provide um, workshops, um, fellowships, grants to do body of works, and then we can grow it to make it something. I am somebody with a lot of dreams and aspiration. I always ask a lot of questions. Why can't we have this in Africa? Why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? And the name of the organization is called Dikan. In Dikan, my local dialect means take the lead. Mm. I am taking the lead and motivating other people like me to also solve problems in a smaller way or a bigger way in the 55 countries in Africa. Amazing. That's what it is, right? Taking the lead and building this learning center that's accessible for all without the gatekeepers and where folks can learn from everything like you're saying to, wow, yeah, could I take pictures of my grandchildren for me, right? Because mm -hmm. it's so, mm -hmm. my grandchildren are so important to maybe somebody who's ambitious, uh, just mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's that hustle for a family or like, I really like this and I really want to show my portfolio, my body of work, all these mm -hmm. words. And now you can provide this access that you weren't given to. Um, absolutely. That is absolutely amazing. And you're, you want to take the lead and you want to be able to, to, to serve others and support others, which is so amazing. So everybody listening, um, watching, you can definitely check out it's a D I N K A. Yes. D I N K A center.org is, uh, yeah. Perfect. And you can, the, all the links are there. There's also the GoFundMe that's up. I know Brandon helped you get um, the first million. So it's like, mm -hmm. let's get the next million. Yes. <laughs> so that we can go ahead and mm -hmm. get this built and access for all. And imagine, you know, if uh, some person, 70 year old, uh, 15 year old is then able to share it with the world and we see what they got from this learning center and then we get mm -hmm. to see it maybe, uh, you know, showcase somewhere in New York or in LA. Who exactly, knows? exactly. I mean, that is exactly what you just said. One day we're looking forward to have that, you know, to be able to bring people's work, showcase people's work. And I think also um, the point of Africans being able to tell their own story is half time. It's 100%. Hard time, you know, because all these news agencies, 
their head of um, quarters in Africa are all run by foreigners. Mm. You know, and it's like, how do you include people in this? You know, so that is what I'm preaching that to give opportunity to Africans and um, to be because if now if you talk about climate change, you know, you do the story about climate change in Ghana and you publish in New York Times. And how do my grandmother or my mother or the kids be able to watch to read New York Times when the paywall is four dollars a week? Right. So how do we change that to make information accessible to everyone? Exactly. And that's part of what you were saying, right, about what African inclusion looks like, being able to tell our stories, for Africans to tell their stories, and also access information that is told about different parts of Africa from the culture, like you said, the effects of climate change, like how it's affecting the trees, right? All of it. So 100%. Um, and this is where you're starting. And this is where we can make this exponentially bigger. So that is amazing. Thank so you. we've talked talked a lot. If you could sum up what we could do, like a call to action for us to be more inclusive in our lives. Do you have a, a summary of what that would look like? I think it takes it. I, I, every time I try to start from the micro aspect of it, you know, one person, the next person by you, your next door neighbor, your coworker. Have you ever asked? what the co-worker is going through. Do we have, we, we need to break that self-centeredness, mm -hmm. that culture of self-centeredness and build more community, more support, even among the African-Americans, among the brown and brown people and all that. How do you support each other? How do we build each other up? You know, we, we need to build each other. We need to support each other. You know, so we start little by little, be able to help each other. And in that's the strength comes from. We cannot, as much as we want to build the system, the systems are made by human beings. You know, how do you empathize with someone? Mm -hmm. And we can see that, you know, and again, Humans of New York, that is what it does. Call to action. Look at the number of people, money that was raised. So by the way, through pandemic, because we're very, I work with Brandon, I know this, like, we raised 7 million. Yeah. So people are there looking for ways to help. So how do we help even in a small way, you know, your, your local office, elections, all that supporting various organizations, advocacy groups, donating, all these are call to actions I believe that we all can do. And also sometimes we have to pave the way for other people. Exactly. What we can do to use our privilege, our access, our resources for other folks, 100%. So where can our listeners connect with you online? I mean, now I'm, I'm, it's very easy to find me because I was, <laughs> uh, it's like if you type Paul Ninsen, my website is available, decancenter.org. The website is also available. We've been very active, you know, for the past two weeks, like my team and I, and personally, my inbox on, we've been replying a lot of emails. We will reply every single email till the end of the week. So I'm always available to, and also I say this a lot that, we might look at proverb. It says that wisdom do not dwell in one man's head. I cannot run decan by myself. I need all the help I possible. If you know how to write grants, you know the the CEO of Apple. You know the CEO of Canon. You know you do want to introduce us to them to be able to build these partnership with the universities, with cultural institutions, 
and be able to bring opportunities which are here back to Africa. If you have African photo books or any photo book at all, you want to donate to us. These are some of the things I think um, is important and I, I need help with. That was my next question and you answered it. What can we do to support you? So yeah. you heard Paul, if you have connections to the Apples, the Microsofts, <laughs> uh, the Canons, right? Uh, of people that are in influential positions that could support our Dinka uh, Learning Center and yes. making sure that it gets up and running and has accessibility to all. Paul is your person. Um, I sent Paul, I don't even know, I just met Paul. I sent him an Instagram message and saying, hey, would you like to be uh, a guest? And he was so gracious. And so he is definitely answering emails. Um, we're doing this in mid-September. So, you know, make sure that you can, uh, if you're going to be donating, make sure you're donating. And so getting that out there and available to folks. It's going to be so important. And Paul is definitely, and his team, are they are definitely answering emails and they want to get this up and running. So if you have um, contacts that can really get this learning center up and running, accessible for all in Ghana, let Paul know. And if you know people that would be willing to donate any of those supplies that would help with filmmaking, photography, computers, um, laptops, Paul and his team are your people. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I'm grateful. Oh, absolutely. I am looking forward to this. I, Paul, I look forward to the update of what is going to be happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so, Paul, if you don't know already, he was showcased on Humans of New York. So all that information is there. And Paul's story, as we were joking earlier, <laughs> is out there <laughs> yeah, for, sure. for you all to take a look at. And that's call to action. Um, I think it's so important, Paul, and I appreciate it. Um, what can we do to support uh, one more person and let that... Um, exponential growth happen and I think was important that you mentioned too is that you know are you doing a rallying cry but you're not even checking in on your colleague or your neighbor and that's what's important that action and you can do it within your circles of influence as you said exactly exactly thank you so much Paul, you are amazing. I'm looking forward to hearing so much more. Thank you so much for being here on the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. And I look forward to hearing about all the amazing stories that are going to come out of this initiative. Thank you. Thank you so much for this platform and what you are doing. This is very incredible. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.